artists mm. understand the unconscious more than psychologists writers authors understand personal mythology more than deaf psychologists broadly speaking as well so go to literature if you want to understand the personal myth the task for women is to find their own words for things essentially and and, and not to burn men with it every single girl i would have an in-depth conversation with would become my true love and with that i'm sure most of you guys are the same welcome back to young to live by everybody today we have a very interesting show in store kind of an unorthodox show in store today because we had a um, well Stephen pauline over the youtube comments were in correspondence with somebody called arcadian wings they had a nice exchange over the animus but across many different domains kind of just here's a whole bunch of stuff about the animus that I'm sure everyone would like to know, especially myself, including relating to my own, I guess, personal mythology. Can you help and shed some exposition on that? So that's exactly what we are doing. And of course, you might be wondering why I am um, wearing a hat. Well, we're talking about V for Vendetta today, at least in, in large part, which is you know quite quite a famous film. Never, never saw it myself until uh, Arcadian Wings put that comment in. Of course, it's all about masks and things put in front of your face. And I don't have a mask of my own, but I do have a nice hat. So I thought that that would suffice. So without any further ado, you can check the timestamps below if you want to jump to a certain topic that we talk about broadly in this podcast, as always. But I think I'm just going to let a movie scene from V for Vendetta play. And if you pay close attention to the fact it is a woman and there is a masked, dark, mysterious figure coming towards her, which we can broadly class as the animus. And indeed what she's doing... <laughs> with her breath that actually literally choked me up so without any further ado let's go fortunately i got to you before they did you got to me you did this to me you cut my hair you tortured me you tortured me why you said you wanted to live without fear I wish there'd been an easier way, but there wasn't. Oh, my God. I know you may never forgive me, but nor will you ever understand how hard it was for me to do what I did. Every day I saw in myself everything you see in me now. Every day I wanted to end it, but each time you refused to give in, I knew I couldn't. You're sick! You're evil! You could have ended it, Evie. You could have given in, but you didn't. Why? Leave me alone. I hate you! That's it! See, at first, I thought it was hate, too. Hate was all I knew. It built my world, imprisoned me, taught me how to eat, how to drink, how to breathe. I thought I'd die with all the hate in my veins. But then something happened. It happened to me, just as it happened to you. Shut up! I don't want to hear your lies! Your own father said that artists use lies to tell the truth. Yes, I created a lie. But because you believed it, you found something true about yourself. No! What was true in that cell is just as true now. What you felt in there has nothing to do with me. I can't feel anything anymore. Don't run from it, Evie. You've been running all your life. Listen to me, Evie. This may be the most important moment of your life. Commit to it. They took your parents from you. They took your brother from you. They put you in a cell and took everything they could take, except your life. And you believed that was all there was, didn't you? 
The only thing you had left was your life. But it wasn't, was it? Please. You found something else. Not so, you found something that mattered more to you than life. Because when they threatened to kill you unless you gave them what they wanted, you told them you'd rather die. You faced your death, Evie. You were calm, you were still. Try to feel now what you felt then. There's a lift. It'll take us to the roof. interesting thing for me uh, about that particular scene when you look a little bit into the the background of the character V is that he's a freedom fighter and the uh, female character Evie uh, aligns herself um, with him um, as a kind of a assistant I suppose uh, in his mission and the thing about the animus um, it's similar to the anima in so much as it will attach itself to um, a whole a whole array of things. Um, you know, for the the anima, for example, can be uh, attached to uh, or projected onto an, an inanimate object. And um, with respect to the animus, um, it can be projected. Um, out into the environment onto a, a cause or a movement and um, so that a, a set of ideas or beliefs essentially are projected out into the culture or even onto a man of personality for example like Jordan Peterson um, whom I, I know this particular lady um, has an interest in so I, I would be I would be interested in the animus in, in, in that specific way, I guess, for her um, in this scene. I think that probably has some relevance for her. And in the absence of, of um, any any great personal detail or, or, or self-disclosure, um, it's probably not possible to say an awful lot more about that. Um, I know that there are some relationship issues or there have been some relationship issues for this lady in the past and 
when um, people first engage in a relationship and they're going through that infatuation stage um, and they, if you like, project their soul image onto the other person, then the, the, that relating can be so intense that it could be experienced as having, you know, one's breath taken away. It, it can be, it, it becomes a real psychophysiological experience and um again this this particular lady talks a lot about the breath and the breath in connection to the animus so to some extent we can only speculate about what that might mean for her personally it's it's almost like being presented with a bit of a riddle really and the animus is a bit like that because it'll present uh riddles to a woman on the inside that somehow she feels she has to solve um, and I guess what I'm hoping to do by working through this is to make some suggestions about what some of these these um, uh, points might be that, that she raises in a way that she can then go back and maybe knit all these things together for herself on the inside and the, essentially that's a function of the positive animus to have to find the the capacity for a woman within herself to do that as opposed to necessarily presenting someone else with that riddle whether it's you know it's 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 ourselves as a team or or, or someone else um because if she's able to do that then the victory ultimately will be hers yeah well it gets inside a woman's soul doesn't it mm. and if, if you you're an interject you know your image is interjected by a woman then whether you want it or not you're being used as that and that can rob you of something or it can be the basis of how you bridge that person and help them too and so that will constellate your own emotions mm -hmm. and naturally enough your animal will be kicked off then by the activity of the animus yeah yeah i think some of the um Themes in the, the film too are current for now. And Very strangely much, yeah. enough, we got up this morning and there was a um, uh, a YouTube video about Viva Vendetta. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I know this lady's interest in synchronicities and... It was uh, an interpretation of it, it was, we haven't watched no, it. No, we haven't watched but it yet. it was there, it was like... Bang, but it was just sitting as, there, wasn't it? As soon as we switched <laughs> on. And... Yeah, which was a, a little bit strange. Yeah. Um, but one thing, um, if you, if you, something probably we don't do enough to uh, sometimes too with respect to the animus is to look at how it's operating in the culture. Tend to think of it as being an intra-psychic thing mainly for women, but it, it, it does have a function out there. And if it could give, say, something like the um, an example such as uh, what's happening at the moment um, with respect to an organisation like Black Lives Matter, a lot of or a large percentage, if if you actually watch the news coverage on it, of the people involved uh, in those protests are young women, and. Um, I think that's of interest too, because there are some parallels, I think, with respect to what's happening now in the culture and what is happening uh, in this particular film. So the, the, there is overlap. And I think the thing for women when they engage in some kind of, um, or attach themselves, like I said before, to some kind of uh, movement, um, they use that as a, as a way of, 
as a vehicle, if you like, for the expression of their own ideas. And they can become very vocal about it. So in that mm -hmm. sense, they also, in becoming very vocal about it, they become very animated. You get that animating spirit and, and one feeds the other. So their, their activities out there socially in the culture mirror what's happening on the inside for them too. So, you know, you, you can see why women and, and particularly young women would engage in those kinds of things because of the kind of animation that they get from it. Yeah. Can I ask you on the, on the riddle front then? Uh, you said obviously the, the animus sort of sets up riddles for I guess, the woman to solve. Um, just in my very TI way to get that to, 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 to get, get that clear, what would be the difference then between, you know, does the anima ever offer a man a riddle? Like in terms of that lived experience, what what does that feel like? Well, I think as 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 we get further into the um, the Young to Live by podcast, I think we're we're all kind of coming to the conclusion that there's not a lot of separation, particularly about how the anima and the animus function, because essentially they're both relating yeah. functions. So um, they actually probably have more in in common they, than they do in terms uh, uh, of difference. Um, I think with respect to uh, my own experience of the animus um, internally is that, and, and you know, correct me, Steve, if, if this is maybe where things do differ, where there is some separation um, or not, um, is that it will, a bit like this lady is doing, she, she's kind of giving us almost sort of flashes of insight uh, and of understanding but it, but those things aren't linked together in any kind of meaningful way for her, it seems, at least on the surface, at this moment in time. And so it kind of teases you. It's as if to say, well, yes, you've understood this little bit and maybe this little bit over here, but you haven't knitted it all together for yourself in a way that would allow you um, to, tr to transcend the parts and, and to, to have some kind of um, deeper meaning to what it is that, that's going on for you. And in technical terms, I would say that is the task of the positive animus to do that. But whilst it's, whilst it's out there being invested in, you know, characters in a film or out there in culture in some way, um, or on, onto a, a man of personality, essentially you're not doing that for yourself. You're relying on something else to, um, as a container to pour your ideas into in the hope that somehow those things will solve it for you or those people will solve it for you or that movement will solve it for you and give you give you some sense of meaning when essentially the, the, the task is to do it for yourself on the inside. Hmm. So, I mean, I presume that's a similar kind it, of thing. I, I say, too. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's pretty much okay. I'd answer because you say because it's a relating issue. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you get where those two meet, which is deep down in the core of <clears throat> our essential human nature and having a need for relating. That's where the overlap will be. And the mm. expressions, as you, as you mm. say, on mm. the surface are like surface structure changes, but they both mirror the same deep structure uh, process. So, yeah, it's, yes. it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Women seem to get particularly hung up on, on ideas mm. um, and... Um, beliefs convictions and so on yeah um that they they seem to be 
there seems to be a point of separation between the anima and the animus, as I would experience this. Um, um, but you, again, you may well, agree to I, differ on that. No, I, I don't uh, differ as such. I think I still think there's 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 commonality of ground. It's mm. it's probably how it's expressed on the surface. If it, yeah. and if we think about yeah. uh, Jung himself and how he basically told people that these things work. If you follow that prescription from Carl Jung, then you would expect to see <coughs> these differences uh, brought into relief. But mm. in everyday life, it's not like that. Plenty of men are drawn through their anima to internet personalities and gurus because it's about relating to the ideas and it's about relating True. to themselves mm -hmm. and their identity as a man or as a human being or <clears throat> whatever level of resolution you want to apply to that so the relating function is working in exactly the same way and it, you mentioned Jordan Peterson and, and purely for the sake of illustration then people who follow him or anyone that Jordan Peterson has followed such as Frederick Nietzsche or Carl Jung then there is a set of ideas and beliefs and convictions which mm. come in third party, mm. not through direct experience or engagement, but through attachment to that belief. And it's via the anima because they are relating to other things they may need. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a, a kind of a meme that goes around the internet that, is, that says Jordan Peterson is not your dad, for example. So there's an issue of relating to the father mm. Imago, which is projected out onto him. But because it's relating, nevertheless, externally to a reference and then internally to a need, the anima is at work in relating to Jordan Peterson for these young men yes. who have an issue with their father. So, yeah, I think it's exactly the same. But, but the way Jung writes, it does tend to separate things. And as you correctly yeah. said, deep structure, they're identical. Mm -hmm. They'll take on a particular flavour. And there you do see differences that are unique. But fundamentally, they are, just as you said, they're the same. Yeah. So... Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. I, yes. I, I fully agree with you. Yeah. Uh, but ideas to grip men. Yeah. Uh, and the animals at work there because they relate to their own identity into the world through that. Whether they're a thinking type in Jungian terms or a feeling type, mm. an intuitive or a sensing type, it's still fundamentally this notion of an idea that is related to. So I say it's the same. Mm. So you know, if there's there's a riddle being put out then that that because uh, you guys have said. Um, by by their libido, ye shall know them. So if if, if, if someone's libido, let's so say a young woman in this case, is firing off towards, say, a man of personality or like another man or something like like that, is that itself inherent right there in that equation? The observation, the riddle, basically saying that it's to use sort of like a, a depth psychology approach in the moment. It would be okay. So my libido's flowing over there. Why? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. That more than anything else tells you fundamentally what's going on and then everything else thereafter is a description of that process at a different resolution but fundamentally it's where there's the energy going mm. and then you might say it's whatever Jungian structure or hypothesis uh, and then once you've identified that in a categorical sense this is TI talk by the way and Pauline's way is much cleaner and a more of a feeling perceptive way perhaps than I would do it I would describe that as a categorization where you then resolve that down to say it's the animus but more fundamental than that is that it's libido mm -hmm. it's energy mm. but by pursuing the animus as a category in the way that Pauline would do it you would actually get to the solution because you would be painting the picture 
Whereas, you know, my, my style might be just to categorise it and say this is the problem. Pauline would be more inclined to get on to solving that issue in the immediacy of the moment. This is a difference typologically, I guess, mm -hmm. between feeling, paired with sensing, and thinking, paired with intuition. Yeah. So is this how you can then go about um, identifying somebody's personal myth? Because, you know, to, to, we, to, we talked about, um, about it before. We have mentioned Jordan Peterson's personal myth before, mentioned Carl Jung's personal myth before, and a few other, other people. You take a look at where their energy is flowing to, the, what the, that person will tell you is, I'm just interested in solving this problem. But really underneath shows you the state of their internal psyche as to the type of things, because it's not random, the type of things that they're drawn to. Therefore, you can take a look at the, say, the, the more um, Christian ideas or the astrology or whatever else that characterize, say, Ion. Then you can look at Peterson's work, which is, you know, the, the stuff within Maps of Meaning, Russia, Nietzsche. It's like, are you really trying to figure something out purely in an objective academic sense, or is this something with your soul, if you like, the anima, animus is drawing you towards that? I like that. I like that because that is a that is a penetrating insight you can use to carry around with you all the time to yourself. It is. Yes. It's practical. Yes. And, and just to illustrate type, as I say, that my initial approach would be the, the way I described it. And then I would re resolve that down using my now integrated other functions, you know, integrated for use purpose only, and then set aside back to the default setting to get into Pauline's way of perhaps addressing that problem if rapport demanded it with whoever I was working with. Um, but but Paul, Pauline feels into things and perceives them in uh, a completely different way, which you were saying off camera before, it's, um, it's appealing. Well, I'm interested in how it is for that person, Yeah. I guess, essentially. Yeah. Because if that person is reaching out and they're suffering in some way, it's kind of irrelevant to them how it is for anybody else. They want, they want, oh, yeah. to, they want to solve yeah. um, their own conundrum, their own riddle. Yeah. Um, and if it can facilitate that in some way, then then that's great. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's uh, I think, like I said before, it's better if it's their victory. Oh, it's, a, it's a bit yeah. like doing um, dream amplification. Mm. You know, you, you can make suggestions for what things might mean, but ultimately it's down to that person to... Yeah, it's in to, that context. It's in that kind yeah. of context, yeah. isn't it? And I guess we're doing a similar sort of thing here. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just an aside, really, yeah. on yeah. differences in approach. In style, yeah. Obviously, Pauline would approach that way, and then she'd, she'd dip into other things as well if it needed and vice versa, but it's just illustrative of default settings, uh, and mm -hmm. Paul's um, default setting is different uh, mm -hmm. and very effective in a different way, and it, it's always uh, nice to experience that. Out of um, when, when you two help me with in terms of the sort of uh, mentorship thing, Steve, I absolutely love your approach. Pauline, I think you might just edge Steve out for myself in terms of in terms of um, efficacy. Not necessarily on raw ability, but it's just I can't logic my way out of out of your words. It's 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 a difficult thing to do. It's just a completely different toolkit. You know, you're like, how do you feel? And I'm like, you know, it 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 just knocks you out out of it. So yeah, I think there's immense value there. I think I think it's just, like you say, it's just a style difference. Mm. Um, both have inherent value, and uh, you know, they, they, it's complementarity in all things, isn't mm. it? And, yeah. and sometimes one one approach works, and, and uh, sometimes it doesn't. And 
yeah you've just kind of got to run with that but i'm um, just just coming back to this um this lady as well for a moment like i say she's um she's talking an awful lot about connection between the the animus and, and breath and breathing um and also she she gives a lot of personal information mm. away she she's been very very open um in disclosing other uh, information about herself, which this, this was public, what, by the way. This wasn't was public. It, it was, was done on, on, YouTube, on YouTube. Otherwise, we and, wouldn't be discussing and direct it at all. Just to yeah. Put that, yeah. Know, yeah. Clear caveat in. Yes. We're only saying what she has said openly in public in writing. Yes. And we yes. would not disclose things which she did not want disclosing yeah. or had not disclosed herself. Yeah. yeah. So um, again, thinking in in the. Uh, the context of, of the animus and, 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 and in a relationship to that but also so to men on the outside because I believe that that she's uh, just come out of a, um, a relationship and it's been a very painful experience for her and um, she says in a communication that that since then she's she's been um, noticing that she's been masturbating more and um, the interesting thing uh, the other piece of interesting information she gives about that is that she tends to do it um, when she's low in energy and she's noticed that this is a, a pattern for her and uh, she's kind of wondering why that might be. Um, and the the thing about, uh, for women anyway, and, um, you know, you can kind of look this up, some deep, for example, like um, Sheila Kitzinger, who's... Um, uh, she was a social anthropologist she's she's since died but she used to do an awful lot on um or, or write about uh, natural childbirth and things like that um she says that for, for women to orgasm they have to hyperventilate so straight away there's a, a connection um between arousal and uh hyperventilation and therefore the breath and if you imagine somebody who's in a, um, a psychologically and or physiologically depleted state, they they might reach out to that or do that because they get some sense of of animation, both in a in a, a physiological level and a psychological psychological level, mm-hmm. uh, because it's again it's such a, an intense experience. So. In the absence of a, an outer physical relationship, then it, I think it's entirely possible that she might therefore turn to something like that in order to literally reanimate herself. Mm. So I think if she was to take that on board as being symbolic of a, of a, a greater need and, and a way of accessing or experiencing those things in the absence of an outer relationship, well, that's a perfectly justified thing to do. Um, it doesn't resolve, um, I guess, uh, you know, the, the problem of why that relationship ended or why she might be having some difficulty with mate selection, as I think she calls it herself in a communication. Um, but it tells us something about why she might indulge in that behaviour at the moment and why it's, you know, she's obviously finding some kind of value in it. Mm. She also says that she doesn't use uh, pornography. No, she doesn't. Um, That's right. She and does said say that, that when yeah. she tried to um, solve this issue for herself within, her, obviously, her own um, perception. Whoops. 
nearly went then. <laughs> her, own, her own perceptual framework. <laughs> Did you set that deliberately? So <laughs> tip away, and fall out the picture. Um, she she found the no fat movements. Yes, she did. Yeah. Um, and the idea of um, pornography being used and it's an addiction, etc. Well, yes. she doesn't or didn't feel the need to use it. So yes. she's using imagery, yes. internally generated imagery, yes. and she's uh, supplied this film V for Vendetta mm -hmm. as a form of imagery uh, within which her animus operates, rather than static pornography or watching it or yes. whatever. So there's something more transcendent than simply the release of an orgasm as such yes. it's the meaning of that mm. in its wider framework for her mm. and i think this is where breath and soul are being linked by yes, her too definitely. and the animus being the embodiment the psychopomp involved in breathing involved in the soul image involved in the transcendence aspect of an orgasm rather mm. than its purely biological mm. mechanical yes um elements as well yes absolutely but we also know too that complexes can breathe you indeed yes they can so yeah. I, I agree with you there probably is um, a, a transcendent aspect to this an archetypal aspect to it but it'll be complicated too by whatever complexes um, you know accrue around the oh, archetype definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, and we don't we have some information about that but we don't have don't have enough, a, a really. lot of detail yeah. um, I mean she mentions um, about her, her mother and her relationship to her mother um, and as a child how she would have um, panic attacks yeah. um, and uh, asthma attacks yeah. and there was a, um, a comment about her mother who appeared to have some kind of breathing difficulty herself where she would um, I think the the words that this lady uses in in a not very elegant manner try and clear. Elegant was it? Yes, yeah, I, yes, yeah, I think it yeah. was. I mean, by all means, um, you know, check yeah. it out. But I think the suggestion was it was almost um, that it wasn't very ladylike, shall we say? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think could be an interesting yeah. angle well, or, to Or, or even well. intrusive. But bearing in mind she's probably not a native English speaker, being yes. Dutch. Then there could be something lost in the translation. There, there could be, but, but fundamentally, yeah. then, then there's something intrusive or um, expressive mm. that's not quite a normal waveform of behaviour. She seems to be suggesting, and therefore perhaps symbolic, through projection. So mm. her mother uh, coughs in an inelegant way. Mm. What does that mean? Yes. You know, what does yeah. it, the language is important, the, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, even given the the differences the uh, yeah. between English and Dutch yeah. as, as such, then. What yeah. what did that mean? Yes, something which should be repressed, not expressed externally, or she felt was intrusive towards her because mm. coughing spreads things. It spreads oh, breath. Yeah. It it pushes the contents of your lungs or it, the, all of your airway, anything that might be in there. Because she does mention this this current infection as she well, the, the COVID nineteen, yes. in yes. respect to the animus in quite yes. an interesting way. Yeah, and the, of course there is a pandemic situation of for Vendetta as well. In the movie, yeah. In the movie, yeah, yeah. there is. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of there correlations. Yeah. Oh, we we got a comment recently. I don't know if you guys saw about uh, it was on our COVID nineteen video uh, where in in it it was one of you two said um, there might be riots as a result of something like this, and it's and the comment was like you guys called it you know yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah well that, that's uh well i guess we've been around long enough to see this this kind of thing happening before not part of a pandemic but you can certainly pick up on the pulse you know the uh the 1981 riots in the uk as well and the archetypal material that was being pushed out to try to buffer that by the state and it didn't work 
so after a while you do begin to see this kind of thing I mean for example um, let, let's hope YouTube let this one get through but the issues that are happening with China now we were able to predict that 30 years ago we did and a lot of people don't well, probably won't believe that but it's be because of our connection with Chinese culture broadly but also because of an understanding mm. about how archetypal dynamics play out as a waveform. Yeah. Um, certainly building up uh, 23 years ago, 22, 23 years ago, to uh, China getting Hong Kong back, how that would affect people in the West. Um, we definitely did predict that on that basis. But that, that's an aside, I beg your pardon. Mm. I'm going to fall back again. <laughs> <laughs> it's made in China. <laughs> One wonders. I have lots of Chinese friends. I love Chinese culture. I love Chinese food. Yeah. And I've just made the seat even worse than it was before. I should have left this alone. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Uh, you're going to ask as well on the um, just briefly going back to say pornography and masturbation. Apparently, one of my favourite topics. You have um, <laughs> the stats do seem to suggest that women consume pornography just as much as men, which is might be a surprising thing on the surface but then if you look at the breakdown first of all the images women would look at is is uh, interesting um you know you, you you've got those ideas of like a billionaire a werewolf a vampire stuff like that but also literotica you know sexy words there's also something which seems to appeal pretty much, i wouldn't say exclusively because that's not fair but more or less to women and it's, it's like well, you've described the animus before as being the power of the word. And, and, if, and if when you sit down for, say, a session by yourself, if the purpose of that is not simply to scratch a biological itch, but as you're suggesting, to bring animation, and therefore the animus is involved in that, well, it kind of, it, it, it lends support to that, actually, in terms of the differences between the anima and the animus, the animus being the power of the word. Yes, yes, ab absolutely. But um, the, the thing... For women, or the task for women is to find their own words for things, essentially, and, and, and not to burden men with it. You know, um, I'm not saying that, that it's only men can can have ideas or be intellectual, of, of course not. But it, it's for women to, um, to give life, if you like, to their own perspectives and, and their own ways of saying things um, and not, like I say, falling back on, on outer men um, or movements in, in order to know what they think about things. They, they have to find their own position and come to, and reach their own conclusions in a way that, that satisfies them and doesn't burden outer men with the task of doing that. Yeah, like a, a woman can leave a man speechless and sort of take take the breath away, but a man to a woman can literally take the voice away without even intending to do so. I've just seen it so many times before. It's like you got like say a bunch of girls and they're all they're they're normal, they're their normal selves, and then a guy comes along and it's as if their entire character changes so that they can no longer speak what they mean, as if it has been outsourced to that other guy. And then of course politically the guy is blamed for being sexist and everything else. Or outsourced to a cause or a movement. Yes, yes. Which we see an awful lot of. And, and for women who, who haven't developed themselves, and they can be young or, you know, middle-aged or older women. I mean, back in the day, um, 
you know, movements like CND were very active mm. for us, the campaign mm. for nuclear disarmament. And you would see they were probably predominantly women, they were. weren't yeah, they? they were. um, but women that probably of, of all ages, as opposed to just uh, mm. percentage wise, younger women. Um, and again, like I said, this is the way of, of them taking their ideas out into culture and having a voice. I'm feeling that they're, they're making some kind of impact in that way, some kind of statement. There's a downside to that. Oh, there is a downside and to they're, that. They're yeah. open to easy manipulation, not because they're stupid or unintelligent, far from it. It's just that if uh, you want to <clears> influence <throat> a group of people, you just find what will bond them together with the minimum amount of effort from you and the maximum amount of resultants effect in them. So you would find out what they will do naturally under natural conditions mm. and then just add a little bit more to it in the direction that you want it to go. And in that sense, then, any collective group is very easy to manipulate. Yes. That, and that's what they do. You know, the, the people who are pulling the strings and effectively creating the expression for, for these forces that have been channeled mainly mm. through, the, through women mm. uh, can so, do it effortlessly. Yes. yes. So do you have your own ideas or do your ideas have you, yeah. you could say? Yeah. Well, men and women have sacred mm. convictions. Again, it's coming back to it, it's not um, an exclusively uh, female thing uh, or even the domain of the animus necessarily, is it? Because, no. um, for example, both men and women get drawn to the church. They do. They do. Yeah, I, I would think um, it's more to in a specific case like this where it's not obvious and there is no apparent church there mm. there is still the uh, the figure on whom something spiritual is being projected and in the film it's that specific character yes. who is an agent for change so he's hermetic in that sense that he's yes. causing he's change he's tricksterish yeah. his identity is disguised behind the mask mm. uh, and you can find this kind of story um, Beauty and the Beast Phantom of the Opera, yeah. um, even Bluebeard to some extent, the, the, the true identity of the masculine principle is disguised and it's up to the woman to find it uh, and then test that against her projection. <clears throat> uh, and that's what's happening here. And that's the fascination. That the, can she release this man and therefore release herself and her own soul image through relationship to this figure in the outside world who's creating change all over the place? <laughs> And that makes him fascinating and dangerous at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Would well, you... It's like Von Hess as well. It's like Von Hess and Lilith, who, mm. who is pretty much exactly the same. Mm. He, he, his mask isn't physical, uh, except that he's supposed to be, and the actor we chose to play him was a very good look, and still is a very good looking man. Uh, and that allows projection to easily take. Just as the same with uh, Lilith. Uh, you will always find that uh, evil is more easily received if it's delivered through beauty. It'll just get past people's defences. Mm. There's if, no uh, resistance to it, is there? No, because there's, there's an instinctive mm. draw towards that which is beautiful, whatever that is, and that can, can conceal all sorts of things that might be going on behind it, or at least set up an ambiguity. Uh, it seems in the film the way that they do that is they, he wears a mask, and then you don't know, you have to find it. Uh, Von Hesse's mask is real, that's what he looks like. Uh, and in that sense, it's a much more intense draw from the women. And at the same time, the fear, which acts as a repulsive force as opposed to the attractive force. And then, of course, they just fall down into the gap in between. Um, so th there's a different expression of the animus as it can work, mm. I, I guess, with respect to this film. Mm. 
I think just to come because the uh, this particular lady I think has has commented on it um certainly in the in the beginning of her her um her exchange with us about uh, mate selection yeah um that can make it a tricky thing yeah can't can, it can. for all sorts of reasons and if you're looking to resolve that problem for yourself well there are lots of uh traps potentially and mm. pitfalls mm. um i agree with you stevie at one level it comes back to instincts again yeah and and if your instincts and particularly for women are telling you not to trust a particular situation then you have to listen to yeah. them and some of the problem for 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 women for young women is that as they've grown up um and the family, the culture that they've grown up in, hasn't prepared them for those traps, then essentially they're in a naive state when they come into puberty and they become interested in the opposite sex and so on. Um, and also equally the culture might have encouraged them to um, to be too nice and to not trust their instincts and, and their reactions to things. So they're not very well developed and not very well honed. And therein lies the trap. And this is why things, are, as Steve is saying, are, are very often presented in the way that they are in, in stories to say, well, do you really know what you're looking at? You're looking at a man with a mask on. Or you might not be looking at a man with a mask on, but it's it's you know something yeah. else is concealing his yeah. identity. His behavior, not, and his, yes, that's his right. His context, that's right. His job, yeah. uh, his family, basically the persona. Yes. I should say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that men will instinctively craft their persona to entrap. Uh, and going back to the Lilith story, for example, that's what was done there. Even yeah. in the story, and this allegory was created as a honey trap to to draw Lilith in to the physical universe out from her natural home and well we know what happened after that yeah yeah absolutely mm. so i'd probably say to this lady if, if you're not in touch with your instincts or or you can't answer the question am i in touch with them the chances are you're probably not mm. and so you won't respond in a in in terms of mate selection in an integral way if, if you're not because you just won't be in tune. You won't be looking out for what lies beneath, what lies behind the mask. And, you know, obviously the, there are dark forces out there, uh, you know, in the world. And, and clearly you don't want to fall prey to them. So I think look to your instincts for guidance. This doesn't have to go in the podcast. I'm just interested in this. Um, do you think there is, from the perspective of women... I've got multiple reasons for asking this question. Uh, From the perspective of women, do you think there is an innate hierarchy to to see men in terms of attractiveness? Because I know you the best way is to relate to a woman if, if you want to you know get a woman a man should relate properly to her but is there an actual hierarchy there where she's like okay those guys are the best because for example you're saying about getting in touch with with your instincts is that what the instincts are going to be pointing out primarily is like go for him rather than these down the bottom or is it a case of any man can do depending on if they can relate properly to you well enough it's a heck of a question james isn't it um I think the only way I could answer that is to say that it's not an intellectual thing because you're imposing that on top of instinct, aren't you? An instinct it, it is literally just that. It's, it's, it's a gut reaction. It's a visceral thing. In the beginning, 
I mean, the other kind of uh, assessments or appraisals of, of, of that person that you might be about to engage in might come later. But at the very beginning of a relationship where, where you know, there's a lot of infatuation involved and, and, and there's a lot of essentially narcissism involved in terms of the projection of your own soul image, um, I don't know how helpful that is. I mean, instincts are just that. It, it's they kind of defy explanation, really. Yeah, they, they do. It's that deep inner knowing, they isn't do, it? They defy contradiction, uh, yes, don't they? Yes, for sure. Uh, for sure, because yeah. they just they don't want to be contradicted. There has to be a really good counter argument to an instinct for it to back off, and that will normally come from another instinct. Although with all, with us, with mm. as conscious human beings. We do have an executive role, that's why we have an ego, an yes. ego which, which is supposed to uh, reality test the survivability of, uh, of a specific form of instinctive pressure in a particular context at a particular time. That's part of adaptation. Um, yeah, if you take a purely biological view, then there's, there's, there, are, there is a notion of best fit. You will know this, James, you know. Uh, and that does have explanatory power, but it doesn't explain it 100% at all. In fact, sometimes nowhere near it, because you will see couples who who pair for life, and you wonder how on earth did that happen. That's quite a common thing. Yes. There's a mismatch in attractiveness, you yes. could say, physically, uh, but something else is there. And it may be something tangible like money, you know, like the, the, the beautiful woman goes for the ugly billionaire. Yeah, Marilyn right. Monroe, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when did you fall in? Like that thing was said to the, uh, that uh, c comedian's wife, who's a millionaire. But when did you fall in love with millionaire so and so? Uh, well, you know, uh, mm. the, the the insinuation being it was because of that, but it might not have been. Yeah. That's just a, a perspective on the outside, perhaps projected in, because the person suggesting that may have wanted this guy's money. Um, it depends and this is where the transcendent comes in it's a distillation of something which is intangible mm -hmm. that instincts settle for that's the mystery why do the instincts settle for that pairing when it doesn't look rational from a biological perspective on the outside there's something else there and the best fit that I've ever found, to be honest, and I've looked and tried to explain this to myself, <coughs> uh, not in relation to Pauline, but to myself in relation to engagement with people who've had problems in relationships and so on, the best fit that I, I, I've experienced has been Plato and his idea of the form. Mm -hmm. And that is not immediately tangible, obviously, because it's an intangible thing externally in terms of adaptation through sensory information. But on the inside, there's something else at work there. Yes. And you often find this mismatch in attractiveness. And it's not always that you have a relatively unattractive man with a very attractive woman. It can be the other way around. If you but look for the evidence, you'll see it. There is something else going on, something very, very deep and transcendent. And mm. those relationships do tend to endure because the fact they're, they're based on something which is not immediately biologically viable shall we say, for some reason. Or at least not obviously so. But yeah, yeah, if the psyche is concerned, especially in the form of, of dreams with individuation and helping you know you balance out self-development and stuff, stuff like that, then it would make sense that to balance the instincts, you also balance this is someone who can help you individuate so that you, both of you can, can become whole together. So in which case that becomes, that makes sense. 
Um, you'd have, of course, I'd have to then in that particular model try and justify typology in that particular sense. Not that it's you know massively important with such things, but then you would expect that so sort of T and F pairings perhaps would be more common than somebody else. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It, it's that obviously the biology frame of like, well, the more money the man has, and the, the you know if he's got a nine pack rather than a six pack or something like that, it doesn't it doesn't seem to explain everything at all. So you know, a man like that will attract a lot of women, but not necessarily the right woman. Also permanently as well would, would be the concern. Exactly, too. There's, there's a resource uh, issue there which will attract a lot of women who may not be of the right, you know, level of investment for a long-term relationship. They may be exploitative, and they're being driven by instinct to do that. So you get quantity sometimes over quality. Um, this is fairly simple to work out what's going on there, and, and the various adaptations to that. Typology, yes, is real. It, it, it is real, but it's not everything. Um, it's just a vehicle for expression of character. Character is deeper and more fundamental. You can get a good version, morally and in terms of character, of one type mm -hmm. and a bad version, Definitely. morally, ethically, of mm -hmm. the same type. Mm -hmm. And if your level of analysis is typological only, you're going to make horrendous mistakes in you terms are. of judgments, aren't you? You are, because you would person. think all, all extroverted feeling types are benign. Uh, and you know somehow the vice is that is is the you know the domain of uh, yeah. thinking types for yeah. example yeah. Yeah. which clearly isn't true oh you get that just like you know in, in everyday life people who know nothing about typology as such still know what introversion and extroversion is and there is a bias towards saying that extroversion is more adapted culturally still the, 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 it's always introversion that gets paired with neuroticism notice on on these psychometric scales yes. never extroversion and yet someone who is a, a borderline hypomanic or cyclothymic may go into phases where their extroversion is positively neurotic and doesn't just affect the individual it affects everybody around them so they, they share it out they share the neurosis out through their extroversion but very rarely do you get that considered you know, it's, it, there's something wrong with introversion in our culture, it seems. That's a failure to understand human nature that produces that. You have um, seem to have a, a capacity to get the shape of somebody very quickly. Mm. That's probably the only way I can put yeah. it. Um, that you kind of almost like take a, a snapshot. Yeah. And you have an instinctive reaction to yeah. that person as to whether you yeah. think... Mm. the good or bad shall we say yes. so sometimes it, it's it's that simple yeah um not that you're not prepared to give people a chance of mm. course you are but mm. but something in you just it's, it's obviously your your extrovert intuition and typological terms yes. goes out and it kind of like a radar and, yes. and, and scoops in that information suddenly you have like a snapshot of, of yeah of you know yeah. That, that person and 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 uh, yeah. what you think they're like in terms of their character, mm. and mostly you're right, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, it seems to be. Yeah, it just seems to be that, the that's case. Probably the, the the product of how old I am, to be honest, because of the yeah. experiences yeah. that that's built up, uh, life experience that builds up behind that. that yeah. But are you saying that's an instinctive? Yes, thing? I am. Yeah. Well, I I would agree with that because I don't think about it. No, you don't. Um, it's too quick. That's my point. It it, yeah. it happens in in probably split seconds. Yeah, it can do. I can literally sometimes yeah. Yeah. read someone in one or two frames you of can. movement at a distance and will predict their character mm. on the basis of that. Yeah. 
um, that's long experience of observing and working with people. Yeah. Uh, it, it cuts down on the RAM, you know, your working memory mm. uh, and the distractions. Um, I, I'm, I'm prepared to be flexible and of to change that. Of course you want to be, and to be wrong and, and to, be and wrong, to correct yeah, for it. Of course you be, want. Being wrong doesn't diminish me at all. at all. I don't feel that personally. No. A lot of people do, you know, they, they can't take being wrong, their judgments being wrong. Mm. Well, to me, that's just updating, you know, mm. and, and, and mm. that, that's fair dues. Mm. But I do very often have these instinctive responses that yes. do turn out to be accurate yeah. when tested over time. Yes. Um, and that's interesting. It is interesting. In the sense that, yeah. well, how does that work? And I, I think mm. it just works on perception paired with instinct. And it that's does. probably a very archaic mm. aspect of mind mm. that's acting uh, pre-rational. Yes, and it's you know, in all of us. We, we all have that capacity. We do. Yeah. 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 But like yeah. I say, for women, very often it gets trained out of us because we're yeah. taught, to, you know, little girls have to be nice and quiet and mm. um, sort of, you know, do as they're told and uh, not be angry or not be assertive yeah. or forceful uh, in their own right. And, and, and so those instincts fall into the unconscious. And they, they do. Yeah. Well, now that's been swapped, though, in this culture, though, with men, because everything you were saying there in our current culture is that it's like, sit down, be quiet, be well behaved. Don't be angry. Yes. So, yes, well, absolutely. It, it, it will come out one way or, or another. And then I, I think I think women can tell that in a man. A little bit like, like you're saying, Steve, you can identify someone at a distance. They can tell when a man is incapable, or apparently so, of doing that in the current moment. And I, I do think that lowers their attractiveness right down to the floor. Yeah, it can, it can do. You, you also get this phenomenon of love at first sight as well. I'm like, What's yeah. that working on? And yes. people say that it's not real. I, I disagree. I think it is. because you, And it's, it's not just projection as such. It's an introjection. We're... we're not only do you have a Jungian virtual image, which the interjected image then, you know, is measured against, you have the entire genome which makes a decision and and, and then looks at uh, genetic compatibility. All of this is done instantly, pretty much. Yes. Um, and then you get that level of certainty that removes all doubts, just instant. Whereas you know, you can also have something which is less viable and less real, which is based on projection of a virtual image onto someone and doesn't have all of that. And there is a qualitative difference between those two, which is palpable. You can experience it, you can analyse it and you can test that in other people. So you can know then whether something is likely to survive because there is a deep, very, very deep structured genomic resonance or rapport with somebody that you encounter, as opposed to merely projecting by placing something on them as a hook to hang something on that yeah. is relatively insubstantial. That's still a radar return. You're looking for a, a bounce off of a signal to see if it resonates deeply. And sadly, sometimes it doesn't, but you still get caught in that uh, eph ephemeral projection and it's not real. But where something is real, there is a difference. It's qualitative and you feel it. Uh, and it's not conscious. So the whole of your genome is, a, is, is enacted at that point and it kicks in. Um, so, yeah, on, on a perceptive level. And, yes, women do make judgments like that. Well, they have to because they have to compete with other women. But men do the same thing as well. Mm. But there will be times when that slower intermediary process between instant projection of the platonic form, instant genomic resonance, this bit in between is where the calculation goes on and it, it's almost conscious, although it's very quick, 
it's different. So what you have is a bandwidth then of detection through the senses perception and an internal apperception where things are measured up against standards which are innate mm. and then learned ones as well such as does this person have money is this person likely to have a transmissible disease which is going to threaten my survival or my own reproductive value or whatever you know all of these calculations go on and they create tremendous stress in people it's terrible what they go through yeah, it reminds me i've never um i've never had that sort of instant massive attraction to someone at first sight but more it, it stopped since i've become an adult but when i was a teenager it was like every single girl i would have an in-depth conversation with would become my true love and it's like you can sort of you sort of see what's going on at work there and then and then you know they, they then end up sort of remaining in my dreams for a little while afterwards but there's a difference between that and um long-term stability as well and to try and, especially in this culture, and I don't want to make excuses, I think that's a difficult thing to see, actually, between, you know, what you think you want and what you do really want. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing deep down. I think what I was trying to say is that there are at least three different, dare I say, categories of, you know, of analysis there. You know, there's the complete thing, which is as good as it's possibly going to get for you. And then there's the middle phase which is where all the calculation is done albeit that it's it's very quick and then there's the other instance thing which is a projection of the form to try to get the fit that's like casting a net out and, and seeing whether the thing you're trying to catch actually swims out of the net or it's a good enough fit the trouble is when you throw that net out it pulls you with it and you go towards the image or the individual that you're projecting on so it's part of that competitive process where you're seeking something out under instinctive and therefore genomic pressure, and it's whether the match is right or not. So that's from the perspective of looking for a lifetime partner, say, which we're all under pressure to do to some extent, greater or otherwise. Um, but then the, the continued action of this through your lifespan, it causes all sorts of problems. And then how conscious are you and what you can work on? How, how you, you integrate that. And perhaps this lady, as Pauline's been describing, mm -hmm. is going through a mixed process here through projection of casting out the platonic form, casting out the animus as mediator and psychopomp of meaning, and linking that up to experiences in her life that are meaningful for her, where she's had issues over breathing and so forth, and making a narrative out of that that forms part of her personal myth. The question is, is that personal myth as she is aware of it and is attracted to it and as it processes her helping her or not because around our personal myth gather all of our maladaptations and neuroses our guiding fictions as well our neurotic mm. alibis as well as the truth of who we are and it's it's untangling that that's that's the task mm. and for a woman as with a man the, the proper relationship to the relating function within us will help us to sort that out more than anything more than the shadow or any yes, of these other definitely. Uh, things definitely yeah i mean she mentions her mother doesn't she for she example does, yeah. she doesn't mention her father but she no, does mention her mother point, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's no certainly there's no comment on on him no, here um so you're left wondering whether or not the you know her mother's animus has been an issue for her yeah uh, and again we can only speculate on that but it, it's something to flag up it's a, that's a good point mm. because um the mother's animus will affect the daughter's animus but uh, mm. so, uh, so will the, the father if there was one in this case she may have been brought up a single child the father's anima will affect the daughter's animus 
to avoid confusion in such cases just mm. think relating function yes. the relating function of both parents will affect the relating function of the child mm. and if both parents is only one parent because the other one is absence then that's where most of the influence is coming from mm. or surrogates mm. as well <clears throat> but relating functions create relating functions or at least reinforce their developments and help to shape them through life. So it's very, very important to know where these things come from, what the influences are, and sometimes using expressions like anima, animus, and uh, categorizing them in too rigid a way, or even a stereotypical rather than an archetypal way, conceals what's really going on. It makes it far more complicated than it really is. Yes. Uh, and this is why you know, Pauline's been saying again about instincts as, uh, being so important because it, it, it reduces the clutter and gets you down to the brass mm. tacks of what's going on, doesn't mm. it? Yes, absolutely it does. Yeah, just pairs everything back to, to really what's essential. Mm. Um, otherwise, you can get lost in it all. It becomes kind of labyrinthian, doesn't it, really? And, it, uh, it, it, it does, yeah. it does. Yeah, and it can just throw up more questions than it actually answers. Mm. And, of course, negative animus would just love that because yeah. you just get caught in the rumination trap you don't actually liberate yourself from anything then oh what's the point doesn't she talk about that she talks about um trying to liberate her breathing i think mm. yes yeah. yes yeah. yeah and uh the freedom fighter uh in the film yes the master animus That's right. is, is one isn't he a, a liberator too yes in yeah. a, a, from his own perspective certainly yeah yes yeah 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 so something's trying to get free then isn't it it is something's yeah. trying to liberate itself without a doubt and it's symbolised as breath, mm. but a connection is through breath. Yeah. I think, like you say, Steve, ultimately, even beyond looking at the relating function, uh, the personal myth mm. is the place to go. Yeah. yeah. Because then you get your through line, don't you? And, yes. and uh, essentially um, look at who, you've, who you're meant to be, who you've been meant to be all along, and then you can just strip away anything that's been damaging you or in interfering with that trajectory. So... Mm maybe that would be a better place yeah. for her to work than even to, to get caught up in the idea of the anima and the animus. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, because mm. it, it, it tends to reveal things, doesn't it? Yeah. It tells you where everything is at in relation yeah. to you mm. in the past and in the present, mm. and therefore you can then predict mm. the future. Yeah. You, you have your place to stand at that yeah. point. Yeah. But uh, people mythologise the personal myth. This is the trap, you know. It, it becomes something else then to get lost in, in a labyrinthine mm. way. And then, you know, they, they start looking at some of these uh, authors, these Jungian authors that have written about it, as if that's it. Uh, and what you almost invariably find with these authors, these Jungian authors, is that they appropriate collective myths as illustrations of the personal myth. Yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's mm. nonsense. That's what traps them. Mm -hmm. So they need to be disconnected from that yes. and, and, and find the inner narrative of their own life. Yeah. And just as I say that artists mm. understand the unconscious more than psychologists, writers, authors understand personal mythology more than depth psychologists, broadly speaking, as well. So go to literature if you want to understand the personal myth. Don't go to some of these, we'll say it, people on the internet and some of these uh, psychological authors because they're just creating fantasies mm. that don't really relate as such. Look at the process of building fiction and then you'll find your own guiding fictions. Don't be distracted by someone else saying, look at this particular god or this particular myth. This is your myth, internalise it. It won't work for you. 
it'll conceal everything yes and then that kind of almost brings us full circle in a way um because again if you think about the animus attaching itself to a cause or a movement yeah. then you, yeah. you you immediately you're moving away from your own personal psychology yeah that, that's true yeah you get lost don't you? You, you lose do. your way you do you lose your way the value the value of the ancient stories ancient myths and, and they are intrinsically valuable but only if you can put that into the context of your own life yes. and not identify with it. Yeah. Unless uh, you can use it <laughs> therapeutically to create a dramatic change in someone, as in an enactment process, for example, then it's 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 absolutely valid to do. Uh, for example, the guy uh, in the earliest uh, podcast I think we did where we talked about King Arthur and Excalibur and the rest of it, mm. but he didn't go away thinking he was King Arthur. He went away thinking he, he is who he is, yes. his own man. It was in the moment that that myth kicked in. He, he wasn't trying to live it or identify with it in any way beyond that. Once he got the hint, that was enough. And he lived his own life. Yes. And that's the message. Mm.